turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. While you're doing that, let me just do the quick recap again. Paul plants his church in Galatia. That's the name of a Roman province. It's in modern-day Turkey, right smack dab in the middle of modern-day Turkey. Uh, he plants the church. It's a combination, as most of his churches are, of, of people who are Jewish and people who are Gentile. That's really remarkable. In religious issues, Jews and Gentiles generally don't have anything to do with each other. The Jews and the Greeks don't even eat together. Um, they, they just have totally different ways of living. But in the church of Jesus, they come together. Uh, a year or two after he's left, some Jewish Christians, probably from Jerusalem, come up and tell everyone, hey, this is awesome, but... Um, Paul didn't mention you have to become Jewish first. You can't just be Greek and become a Christian. You can be Greek and then you got to become a Jew and then you become Christian. Um, and Paul writes the book of Galatians to argue against that, to say vehemently, no, 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 absolutely not. There are no prerequisites to becoming a Christian. There's nothing you have to do. Salvation is a gift. And he warns him over and over again, you know, if you're going to try and obey the law and get good with God, wow, that is not going to work for you. Um, now, you know, uh, Paul's Jewish. He says in lots of places, when he's with Jew, Jews, he obeys the law. I mean, he's not like saying, oh, you know, circumcision is evil. Right after he finishes this letter, he will go on his second missionary journey, meet a kid named Timothy, whose mom is Jewish, but, but is a Christian, but his dad's a Greek, and so he's never been circumcised. Paul will make the kid get circumcised so he can take take him with Paul into the synagogues and things. His mom's a Jewish, Jewish, so he's Jew. He's a Jew. He can come and eat with Jews. He can come and minister in there. He's not against the, the practices. He's against the heart. He's against the attitude. He argues over and over again that we can never think of salvation or our relationship with God as some sort of contract. I'll do this and God will do that. Salvation is the beginning of our relationship with God, but, but this goes all the way through. We cannot think that, oh, this is how I relate to God. I do X, so God does Y. And wow, brothers and sisters, uh, the church, the history of our faith is littered with people who bail because that's what they think. They think that, okay, I'm a Christian, so I do this. As long as I do X, then God will do Y. Whatever Y is, keep me safe, prosper my business, get my kids into college, whatever it is. Christianity's littered with people who, who viewed their relationship as a contract. You know, I'll pay you $500, you give me 500 bushels of wheat. That's a contract. If I don't bring you the money, you don't give me the wheat. And if you don't give me the wheat, I don't give you the money. It's a contract, we both do our part. But if you, that's how you think of God, I come to church, I listen to Jeff drone on, I sing some songs about how great he is, I put some money in the offering boxes on the way out, that's what I do. Then God keeps me safe, God keeps my family safe, God prospers my business, God makes sure things happen the way I want. If it's a contract, then I guarantee you the day is going to come when God is not going to do what you want. I do X and God does Y, the day will come when God does not do Y. He does not prosper your business, he does not keep you safe. And if, if your relationship with Christ is a business transaction, Paul talked about this, these, these two different covenants, two different ways we do business with each other. If your relationship with God is a business contract, then of course when God stops doing his side of the bargain, you stop doing yours. When God stops doing what you want him to do, then you stop going to church, you stop being involved. You, it, it, I do my part, God does his part. Paul's just adamant 
We cannot think that way because you will, you will bail. If that's how you view God, the day will come when God will disappoint you. When God does not do what you want him to do, he does not do what you expect. He does not hold up his end of the bargain you thought you had with him. And you are going to be in crisis. And Paul says, that is not, that is not the way we relate to God. And brothers and sisters, unfortunately, there are plenty of people in the faith who will tell you that is true. We call it the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. There's different names, but it's this idea that relationship with God is a contract. If I do X, then God does Y. I mean, nobody will call it this, but the idea is God's a vending machine. I put in my dollar, I choose D4, out come potato chips. Because it's a deal. D4 says potato chips, they cost a dollar. I do my part, the machine does its part. There's a slew of people who will tell you that's what it means to follow Christ. It means if you do your part, then God will do his part. And if God's not doing his part, that means you're not doing your part enough. You're not giving enough, you're not doing enough, you're not obeying enough. Something, something more is required with you, required of you, before God will do what he's supposed to do. And Paul was fighting that 2,000 years ago and we're still fighting it today. It is not true. Salvation is a gift and our relationship with Christ. From that time on, if you're a follower of Christ, all of us here now, we are living out a response to that. We have been given a gift. What's the right response to a gift? I mean, what do we teach our kids? Someone gives you a gift, what do you say? Thank you. The right response to the gift of salvation is a life of gratitude. And that's what Paul started last week, talking about that we're not gonna live the old way we used to live. He calls it the flesh. It's just a normal human way we live. We look out for ourselves. We're selfish. We do what we need to do to take care of ourselves. If other people prosper from that grade and if they're hurt by that, well, I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. You know, that, that's life. It's not fair. We, we used to live that way. Now, Paul says, we live by the Spirit. We have a whole different way of viewing things because when we took that gift from God, we got God's Spirit. That was part of what happened to us. God gave us his Spirit when we became his. And so he talked about that a bit at the end of chapter five. Now in chapter six, he's really gonna do the, okay, here's what this means. This is what it's about. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're gonna live. Because we, you've heard me say this before, as Christians, we absolutely obey the law. We absolutely do what's right. But we don't do it thinking we're gonna get something from God. We do it because God's already given us something. We're, we're being grateful. We're responding to God. We're not hoping he'll respond to us. So read along with me. I'm gonna read the first 10 verses of chapter six. This, this is really Paul closing out his argument about this is what it means that we have come to believe Jesus. He's given us a gift. We're gonna live out in response to that. This is Galatians 6, one through 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, 
from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, if we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, anybody in here, were you into mythology? You know, again, you've heard me say, I'm a classics major. So you got to read a lot of mythology. A lot of what the, the people are writing about in ancient times is what we would call mythology. These guys, they're, they're, they're Greeks, they're Romans. They've grown up in what we would call the world of Greco-Roman mythology. Only for them, it wasn't mythology. It, it was real. It was the gods. It was what life was like. But in the Greek mythology and the Norse mythology and Aztec mythology, it doesn't matter. In any mythology, what happens if a god shows up and saves you? What happens if you're out hunting one day and all of a sudden, out of the woods comes a huge boar and he's about to gore you and kill you and Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, steps in and pushes the boar away and saves you. What happens? You owe her. She saved you and you owe her. Gods don't just save people. They have a reason. They want something. So if Artemis has saved you, now you owe Artemis. So you're going to need to go to the temple of Artemis. Her Roman name's Diana. That's the name you'll hear about her in the scriptures. You have to go to the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, where Paul planted a church and caused a riot because so many people were starting to worship this Jesus guy instead of Artemis. It made all the people who worshiped Artemis very, very nervous. You're going to have to go to the temple of Artemis, and you're going to have to dedicate. You have to give her a gift, a gold cup, a bronze tripod, a platter, something, something to show your thanks. You owe the god or the goddess. If a god or goddess intervenes, you owe them. That means you go to their temple and you give them something. You do something for them. When this god, right, who has saved us, Right, Artemis stepped in, diverted the boar, saved you. I mean, she didn't save you forever. You're still going to die someday. But she saved you in that moment. And you owe her. The God of the Bible that Paul is writing about, he saved you forever. And Artemis saved you by waving her hand. Right? The God of the Bible saved you by dying for you, by taking your place. When that God has saved you and you owe him, what does he ask you to do? Because what I expect, again, classics major, reading all this, what you expect to hear is, go to the temple, make an offering, dedicate a tripod, have a play composed in Artemis's honor and put it on at the next symposium. Do a stelae at the temple, do something for the goddess. Do you remember what Paul said in, the last, in chapter 5? The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. When this God saves you and you owe him, what he asks you to do in response is to love other people. Not do anything for him. Not go to his temple. He has a temple in Jerusalem. Paul could have sent everyone down there. Go to the temple in Jerusalem. Dedicate a golden cup. Yeah, a bronze tripod, a relief, a stella. Love one another. 
And so when Paul starts to get specific, you know, he's been general, love, we're going to love one another, we're going to walk by the spirit, not by the flesh, right? He's, he's had these general things. Now he's going to get specific. What does this mean? What does this God really want? If we live out in response to what he's done for us, and you didn't ask Artemis to save you, she just stepped in and did it. This God, he just offers you salvation as a free gift. What, what's the very first words out of Paul's mouth? What does this God want us to do? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Do you know how extraordinary that is? That what a God says you should do when, when you owe him is that you should be kind to people who mess up. When someone, I mean, it's sin. They've messed up. They've done it wrong. They're caught in it. it, it, it it's, it's grabbed them. It's got a hold of them. The God that you owe your life to says, you know, if, if you're doing what I said, if you're living by the Spirit, then I want you to gently restore that person. And I, I, I so enjoy, like, like I, I read this in, in Paul's original in the Greek, um, that word restore, you, you've seen it. If you've got a Bible reading plan that's taking you through the scriptures, you've seen it a dozen times already in the scriptures. The first half a dozen times you saw it were all in the gospels because it's the word for mending a net. It's the word for sitting on the beach, spreading out your net, going through it, and just painstakingly sewing up all the holes. And that's how I read it when I first saw it because that's how I know the word. You who are spiritual, mend that person with gentleness. You know, mend a net with thread. Mend that person with gentleness. That's what this God wants you to do. That's when, when you owe him, when you respond to him in gratitude and you want to show that gratitude, he says, when someone messes up, someone sins, someone does wrong to you, it's right there, it's red-handed. How do I, what do I want you to do? Mend them with gentleness. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm just astounded. I've read so many stories out of the Greek and Roman times. No God says this. No God says, be kind to people who fail. Be gentle. Be merciful. If we went out and asked 100 random people on the streets, hey, well, how, tell me about Christians. What do they do when people mess up? Is this what they would say about us? Oh, yeah. They, they mend people with kindness. They're gentle. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you want on your tombstone. What kind of person was this? It's a person who mended. He mended people with gentleness. Just like you would sew a net up, or you know, a tear. You would sew up a tear. So mended people, put them back together with gentleness. That's, that's what God wants us to do. And I also appreciate that Paul's not an idiot. He goes on in the rest of that verse, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Because, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to get entangled with people who are entangled. People get, get entangled in sin. You gotta be careful that you don't get tangled in it too. And you gotta watch your own attitude. I think it's interesting, he doesn't say tempted by what? He doesn't say if it's tempted by the sin or tempted by your attitude, is it tempted by pride? I mean, it's probably all that. 
Like, again, I appreciate that, that Paul has a realistic view about this. This is how we treat each other. We mend each other with gentleness, just like you'd mend a fishing net with thread. And also, we're careful. We're not going to get caught up in it ourselves. We're not, we're not going to get proud and arrogant. We're not going to look down. We're not going to be tempted. We're going to be wise at the same time that we're being kind. And he says this, the same kind of thing, this extraordinary statement in verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Again, there it is again, the law. The law that he's been telling us for four and a half, five chapters. We don't obey the law to get God to save us or to love us. Oh, but we absolutely obey the law. We obey it by loving people. We obey it because we have been loved. We do these things for people because God has done them for us already. You know, has someone ever done you kindness? Like, like done something for you? There was, I'm not even sure, you know, I, I, I mark my life often in terms of like, you know, when I'm in the States, because we were missionaries, and so, you know, we're out for four years and we're home, and I'm not even sure it's in the present version of being in America. It may have been a previous incarnation. But there was a radio station here in, the, in Atlanta that was trying to get people to pay for the person behind you in line. So in a, in a drive-through, you would go through and you'd tell the person, hey, I, I, I want to pay for the people behind you. Just put them on my credit card, right? And then they'd come in and be handed their food and told, yeah, it was that guy paid for it. Of course, they don't know you from Adam. You just drove away. They can't even thank you for it, right? Just, just trying to get people to be kind for no, for no reason. What happens to you when someone is kind for no reason? They're just generous in you. Doesn't something in you want to respond to that? Like, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to do that for someone else. That's how God wants us to be. God is kind to us first. God restores us. He mends us with gentleness. We mess up and he does not squash us. He restores us. He's gracious to us. He carries our burdens. He does these things for us. And then he turns around and does not say, now go get dedicate a cup to me at the temple. Go do this for me. He says, now you go do that for someone else. I did that for you. Now you go and do that for someone else. Carry each other's burdens. You know, the first thing is, what do we do when people are caught in sin? I mean, they, they, yeah, they've just done it. What do we do? And the next one is, what do we do with people when life's too much? When just something's going on that they can't handle? We carry it. We come alongside. We pick it up. We walk with them through these things. Uh, again, I, I, I'm just astounded that, that this God is so different from all the other gods on the planet. All the gods that we create are like us. They're fundamentally selfish. They want something. This God gives away his very life and then says, no, no, don't, don't give it back to me. Give it to someone else. What I did for you, now you do that for someone else. And again, Paul's not an idiot, right? He knows people. He's been a pastor. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Because, again, just like in, in diving in with people in their sin, you don't want to get entangled in it. When we carry each other's burdens, it can go bad. It can go bad in our own hearts. You know, one way it can go bad is that we start looking down on people. We start thinking like, oh, yeah. I'm carrying your burden. Look at me, <laughs> you weak moron. No, 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 it's fine. 
I'm okay. I can carry this all day, loser. We can go one direction. I think that's what he's saying, right? Hey, don't be a jerk. Look at, look at yourself. Don't compare, don't compare yourself with him. Don't compare yourself with other people. You just look at what you are doing. Have a right view of yourself. Are you strong in this area? Great, help other people. But you know you've got areas you're weak in. You know there's places where you have to be, someone's got to carry your burdens. And the other way we can go is like, oh, this is awesome, definitely. Here, have some more burdens. <laughs> Here, carry these two. Why don't you take care of this for me, and this for me, and this for me? Like we can become proud looking down at people and we can become lazy. Like, well, this is, why, why, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. I'll get the church to do it. I'll get him, yeah, oh no, they'd love to do that for me. Paul says, hey, you don't compare yourself with other people. You have the right view of yourself and everyone carry their own load. The church is not supposed to be a place where a few people carry everyone's load or a bunch of people carry some people's load. We all have a load to carry. And sometimes some parts in life are just too much. And so we come alongside each other and we carry each other's loads. I, I, I so, I, I just think like, oh, right, Paul's a pastor. You know, I think of Paul as a, as a missionary going out and, and planting churches and traveling around. And that's true, he does that. But he walks for a day to a city and then he spends months in the city planting a church and pastoring people. And then he walks for you know hours or a day, he walks to another city, and then he lives in that city. I have often this image of you know Paul, somehow he sweeps in and plants church, sweeps away. And then he sweeps in and plants church and sweeps away. He lived in these towns. Sometimes it was for weeks, sometimes it was for months, sometimes it was for years. He lived in these towns and he pastored these people. I, I, I so appreciate him being a pastor to them. Like, hey, this is how we respond to God. We're kind to people who fail, but don't be foolish in your kindness. Watch out. You don't want to get entangled yourself. This is how we deal with people, that, that things are hard and they're struggling. We, we come alongside them. But hey, don't get proud and don't get lazy. I so appreciate his pastoral heart in these. Verse six, again, and another one of these sort of pastoral injunctions. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I'm reading from the NIV. If you're reading from another translation, that may actually sound different because we're not exactly sure what he means. He literally says, let the one who is receiving instruction in the word share everything good with the one who is instructing. Now, does that mean you have to share with me because I'm instructing and so you share your good? Or does that mean I have to share with you because I've learned the good and I have to share it with you? We don't know. It could be either way. It's, knowing Paul, it's probably both. You know, he, he tends to do, when he's, when he's intentionally vague, it's, he probably means it. He probably means both things are supposed to be happening, that, that you all are sharing with the church. The reason you will find me at Crema in the afternoons with commentaries up on my computer and Greek texts over here and Bibles over here, and, you know, I don't even wave at you because I'm head down into something, is because you pay me. You support this church. You, you pay my salary so I can go study these things. And then it's my job to come back and be diligent about giving all that good back to you. I think probably he expects it to be both. Although Tim and I have thought that maybe what this means is that Pastor Appreciation Month is every month. So if you, miss, if you missed contributing to the pastoral cruise because you thought, oh, I can only do it in October, Every month is Pastor Appreciation Month, according to Galatians 6.6. 6. So just want to put that one out there. 
And after these, these again, I, 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 as, as a pastor, like, like this part of being a pastor, the standing up and teaching, like I, I understand this. Right? Teaching, is, teaching is my gift. I know how to study. I know how to communicate. But wow, the shepherding part, the pastoring part, the helping people, the being wise, I am not wise. I am gullible. I do not read the room well. I do not read people well. You've heard me joke that my wife will say, what's wrong with so-and-so? And I'll be like, oh, they're fine. And she'll say, they're sobbing in the corner. They're not fine. What's wrong with so-and-so? I'm like, look, I asked them if they were okay, and they said, yes, I'm fine. So they're fine. What's the issue? Like, like I, I, I don't read people well. I so appreciate like these reminders from Paul. Oh, all right, this is, this is what we want to encourage in each other. This is, this is what we want to remind each other about. These are the people we want to be. You know, so much of this book's book is orthodoxy, right thinking, ortho right doxy, how, how you think. And that is so essentially important, as I said, because if you think that your life with God is, well, I will do X and God will do Y, then I guarantee you the day will come when God does not do Y. And you're going to say, well, I'm not going to do X anymore then. If that's how you think, there's going to be problems. But Paul never, ever leaves it at, at right thinking. He always goes into orthopraxy right living, right acting. This is how we live with each other. And he, he then goes on and gives us a warning. Hey, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Or again, your translation, if you're reading another one, it may be a different word. That word mocked is the only time it ever appears in the New Testament. It's a total one-off. It means to disdain something. Just to be like, oh, that's stupid. I don't want to bother with that. That's a waste of time. Paul says, hey, God can't be ignored. Like, he knows what's going on. He knows your heart. He knows what's happening. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever reaps to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, he has spent four and a half chapters telling us that our relationship with God is not a contract. It is not you do this and you do this. And now, how does he end this book? Hey, do this and this will happen. Because it's not. It's not a contract. Our life with God, I, 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 you got, we can never, ever promise you, if you do good, you will be blessed. Because it doesn't work that way. There are people in Scripture who do good and they are blessed. Lots of them. There's people in Scripture who do evil and they're blessed. Because God has his reasons. And there's people in Scripture like Jesus. Jesus does everything right. I mean, literally, he does everything right. He never does anything wrong. And God does not bless him, brothers and sisters. God crushes him, Scripture says. He crushes him for our salvation. The punishment that should have been on us is on him. By his wounds, we are healed, Isaiah says. There's people in Scripture who do it right and get blessed. There's people in Scripture who do it right and they do not get blessed. I, you, I can never say to you and you can never say to yourself, oh, well, as long as I do this, then God will... God will do these things I want for me. But you reap what you sow. Every culture on the planet has some form of that. I mean, we have lots of forms of that. We call it karma. We call it what goes around comes around. We call it pay it forward. We, we, the whole world understands that this is how God may, has made the world. I can never say to you in any individual case, yes, if you give money to the building fund, your child will get into Harvard. Yes, if you will volunteer to teach the little kids, you will not be laid off. You can never say that sort of thing. That, that is not the way the faith works. 
But you can say what Paul says here. That God, there is this pattern in the world that you reap what you sow. And so Paul says in verse 9, hey, don't get tired of doing good. At the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. I can't tell you when that harvest, it's just like real planting. I can't tell you how big the harvest is going to be. I can't tell you what day it's going to suddenly sprout. I, I, I can't tell you the details. I can just say that scripture says, look, if you will do good, you will see good happen. And conversely, if you don't, if you continue to live your life by selfishness, then you should expect destruction. It, it, mean, it means decay. It's like your milk going off in the fridge or fruit rotting out on the, on the table somewhere. You should, if you do what is wrong, if you live your life in selfishness, you should expect things to fall apart. Again, can't say when, exactly how much, and, and for some people it doesn't. It is a general principle that God has built into the world. But Paul says, hey, let's not become tired of doing good, because we do get tired, don't we? We get tired of doing good, especially when we don't see good coming back. When we invest, when we pray, when we do what is right, over and over and over again, like, and we start to get into that contract idea again. Hey God, I'm doing good, how come I'm not seeing it? Because you can't guarantee it. You can't guarantee any particular day, you can't guarantee any particular harvest, but you will see it, Paul says. It will happen one day as we have opportunity let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. God, this God who has saved us, he wants us to be kind to everybody. He wants us to do good for everybody, but especially here, especially in his church, with his people, God says, look, this, this is how I want you to respond. So, so how are you doing? You know, I close every, every sermon the same way. I pray for us. I ask God's spirit to speak. There's a bunch of stuff in here. And some of these are easy because he's just talking, I focus on one thing. There's a lot of stuff in here. Being kind to people who've messed up. Being generous and restoring people when they've done what is wrong, when they've sinned against you even. When they have hurt you and done you harm. How, how we deal with people when, when they're not doing well. When things are too much. The, the way we interact with each other. Any of that strike you? Like as, as we were talking, as we were reading, is there anywhere that, that God's spirit was nudging you? I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to nudge us. Like, is there something in here that he wants to remind us of? Because boy, you know, if we ask people, the 100 random people out in the street, you know, tell me about that church. Wow, these are the kinds of things I want them to say. Oh, oh, well, you know, they're people who just continually do good. They, they, they seem to expect, yep, one day, they don't know when, they don't know how, someday God, God will bring all that together. So they just keep doing good. They are people who, who mend broken people with kindness and with gentleness. Yeah, they're people who carry each other's burdens. Wow, would love for a hundred random people on the street. That's what they thought about our church. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God's spirit. Any of this strike you anywhere that, that he wants to nudge you? You know, if you sense that, well, well, ask him about it. He can talk to you. I don't know how. That's his business. If you sense God's spirit nudging this, like, like what Allison said, you know, she heard these things from God. So she probably heard them differently than I hear them. I hear them differently than Elizabeth hears them. Elizabeth hears them differently than Chris hears them. 
he can talk to you. You, you. you can hear him if you're listening. If you feel like God's spirit is nudging you on something, then ask him about that. I can ask him to talk to you about that, to point it out, to give you examples, to do things so you understand what it is that he wants, how he wants you to respond to his kindness to you. So let's pray. Let's ask him together. Uh, Jesus, thank you. I, 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 I appreciate that Paul never leaves it at just theology. I appreciate that he always gets into like brass tacks. What does this mean? What do I need? What am I supposed to look like? How is this supposed to work? I'm grateful that you have preserved all this for us. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I would so love for people to say these things about us. These are the kinds of people we are. We're the sort of people that just keep doing good. Yeah, we, we don't know how it's all gonna work out, but we know it will. We know that one day you will bring a harvest of good out of what we're doing, so we just keep doing good. Jesus, I pray for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, is there anywhere you wanna nudge us? Anywhere you want to speak to us, anything in here that, that, that you want to say to us, hey, you know, remember that situation. Remember that person. Remember when, when that happened. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to us. I pray that, that, that we would hear you. That just like Allison heard you when you told her these things and then she responded, I pray for all of us that we would hear and understand and then we would respond. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to us in ways that we, we can understand. That, that you will nudge us. That, 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 that you will be at work in us. That, that situations will come up. That we'll remember things. We'll, people will speak things to us. However you choose, Lord, that is your business. But Holy Spirit, speak to us in ways we can understand. So that we know, know what you're saying. We want to live out this, this gracious life that is filled with thankfulness, that responds to other people, not because of who they are or what they deserve or what they've done right or wrong, but because of what you've done for us. This is how you have treated us. That's why we treat others this way, not because of who they are. Jesus, I pray for us. Be gracious to us. Speak to us. Let us be known for these things. Let folks who, who talk about our church, whether they like us or, or hate us, that they say, oh, yeah, wow, this is what they're like. This is what they do. Those are people that just keep doing good, and they're waiting for their God to bring it together. Jesus, I pray this for us because we want to be these people, and I pray this for you because you deserve followers like this. So we pray in your name, Jesus, always in your name. Amen.